The message this morning is entitled, Joy in the Above. Joy in the Above. Joy is something that should be the characteristic of every Christian. Joy should be the characteristic of every Christian because we have every reason to be joyful. If, well, I won't give away the whole ending. We'll have to wait till we get there. But here we are in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, where we read, Finally, my brethren, or if the gender should fit my sister in. As far as I can see in Jesus, there are brethren and sister in. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. And by the way, these aren't the little puppies or the pets. These are the vicious ones, the wild ones. Uh, but not physical dogs, but people who behave like them. We'll explain that in a bit. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, well, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. If there's anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who also walk, as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, that, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He has, 
he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And Father, we, again, coming to you in Jesus' name, thanking you, Lord, for the, the access by faith, not by works, not by religion, not by pedigree, not by anything that we think is of value, but only that which you, Lord Jesus, have done, your death, your resurrection, whereby we can come to you and also ask, Lord, for illumination. Lord, as Paul, we just read, his desire was to know you. The power of your resurrection, fellowship of your sufferings, being conformed even unto your death. Lord, to really, really know you, not just know things about you, but to know you personally. And so, Holy Spirit, we are asking you, please open up for us your word today that we might know Jesus. We might know you better and make you better known. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. And if you disagree, leave. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Now, Paul had founded the church during his second missionary journey, which we read about in Acts chapter 16. Paul had intended at that time to go to a very populated area of what was then called Asia, which for us is modern day West South Turkey. Uh, but God somehow said no. In Acts chapter 16, in verse 6, we read, Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. How? We have no idea, and your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Again, how? We don't know. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then off they went. No doubt, did the ship move, by the way? Yeah. Took me hours to do that now. <laughs> so off they went, no doubt expecting wonderful big things. But instead of huge crowds, all they found were a few Jewish women who met by a riverside to pray. So Paul preached to them, and the women got saved. And then they told two people, and told two people, and so on and so forth. And you remember the commercial, us older people. And then pretty soon a church was founded. And, and God was doing an amazing work until one day they were harassed by a demon-possessed servant girl. And after Paul cast the demon out, the girl's owners became very angry because she had made them a ton of money with her satanic, soothsaying, psychic hotline call-in service. So they decided to beat Paul up, and also Silas as well, his traveling companion, and then threw them into that horrible prison. But instead of sulking, they began singing. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, the first ever recorded Christian rock concert. They had a captive audience. <laughs> Suddenly, God rocked the house. There was a great earthquake. 
So these are dad jokes. So that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. And this is how powerful and spiritual the earthquake was. Everyone's chains were loosed. This fell off. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors, supposed that the prisoners had fled. He drew a sword and was about to kill himself. He realized that if he lost any prisoners, the punishment that was upon them would then be upon him and upon his family. And he thought suicide is a better option than me going through that torture and that ultimate death along with my family. So he's about ready to kill himself, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is what you call shooting fish in a barrel. This is easy evangelism. This is fun stuff right here. What must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Hmm, no mention of water baptism. Interesting. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house, and they took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. So this, this guard was so blessed that he took care of their physical wounds that they had received through the beatings and whippings. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. That's a sign of obedience, not a sign of salvation, a sign of obedience. Now, when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. From that point, fast forward about six years, Paul is once again in prison, but this time it's in Rome. And he's under house arrest, awaiting his first trial before Caesar Nero. With some time on his hands, the Holy Spirit led him to write several letters, including Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. One of the major themes of Philippians is joy. Joy. Mentioned several times in this letter, a, a, a form of joy, joyful. Uh, because regardless of our circumstances, we can and should have joy in Jesus. Regardless of our circumstances, we can and we should have joy in Jesus. Joy is here's here's my little definition and because I posted it on the internet it's true <laughs> joy is the state of well-being due to being mindful of spiritual truth joy is the state of well-being due to being mindful of spiritual truth and if the often persecuted and imprisoned Paul tells the church in Philippi, free folk at the time, and you and me, free folk here, that we are to have joy, then we have no excuse, do we? Apparently, the Philippians need to be reminded several times to be joyful. And so again, Paul, a prisoner in Rome, encourages a church of free folk to let go of their earthly obsessions that they might focus fully on spiritual issues then they will know personally the joy of the Lord. In chapter 1, Paul thanked God for them, told them how he prayed for them confidently. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 6, that he who has begun a good work in you 
will complete it, not might, but will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you born again? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? That's a good work God began, and he's not going to stop. That's a good thing, right? He also told them in chapter 1 not to worry about what might happen to him as he faced Caesar Nero. In chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul saw himself, even in prison, awaiting that trial, which could have ended in his death. It didn't. That was a second trial. Another story for another time. But even then, he saw that he was in a win-win situation. If I'm alive, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm chained to guards. I got captive audiences. They're going to hear about Jesus. And they did. So how, how do you stop a guy like that? That's joy. When you realize to live as Christ, to die as gain. And then he exhorted them to live godly, even in the midst of suffering. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, you have the privilege, you have the joy to suffer. To believe in him and also to suffer for his sake. So congratulations. You get to believe in Jesus and then suffer for him. <laughs> Woohoo! Then in chapter 2... Paul tells them to be humble like Jesus in chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He tells them to serve God and others without whining. In Philippians 2, 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. And he also told them in chapter 2 how he planned on sending Timothy and another guy named Epaphroditus to them to minister to them and to straighten some things out. Specifically, a conflict that occurred between two women mentioned in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. There were two ladies that were at odds with one another in the church. That's never a problem, is it? And then he told them to be joyful always in Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Then finally, he told them to set their minds on things of God. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So that's chapters 1, 2, and 4. Huh, what's missing? Chapter 3. There you go. I see our public education is paying off. Good job. In chapter 3, Paul refers to himself as an example of having joy in Jesus regardless of one's circumstances, which begins with denying the flesh. Even when you think your flesh is worth promoting. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we read that personal piety is a pile of rubbish. Personal piety is a pile of rubbish. Finally, my brethren. When he says finally, he doesn't really mean it. Still has at least a couple more chapters left to go. Have you ever been to a church and the minister says, and in conclusion, and they go for another 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> I have learned to never say, and in conclusion. I just always surprise people and say, let's pray. <laughs> so let's see how that goes this morning. Finally, my brethren, 
Rejoice in the Lord. Not simply rejoice, because that'd be crazy. If, if we're going through hard times, you get that horrible diagnosis and you see trouble in the world and your kids are in rebellion and there's too much month at the end of the paycheck and apparently somebody totaled their car. How do you rejoice in that? Well, we're not told to rejoice just for the sake of rejoicing. We're told to rejoice in the Lord. It's only in the Lord Jesus that we can truly rejoice because things of life change constantly. Some of you folks are younger. Just wait. Your bodies are going to go through a change. It was weird when one day in the middle of the night, God flipped my metabolism switch. <laughs> I could eat anything and everything and not gain an ounce, and all of a sudden I can't even look at food without gaining a pound or two. And it's a struggle. And, and then there's, you know, art came to live in my lower back. Arthritis. And, uh, you know, I used to have a full head of hair. Let's not go there, but rejoice. And things in life change constantly. But Jesus is eternal, and He's eternally good. He's, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And so we can rejoice in Jesus because He is eternally good. Rejoicing in the Lord is not a new truth. This isn't the first time you've ever heard a preacher or somebody say, Hey, rejoice in the Lord, right? How many of you, this is the first time you've ever been told to have joy in Jesus? Okay, I'm preaching to the choir. But do you always, do I always have joy in Jesus? What's the answer to that? Oh, no. well, then we need to hear it again, don't we? Because we certainly didn't get it the first time. It's not a new truth, but it's one we tend to forget. In verse 1, he goes on to say, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. It's not laborious, but for you it is safe. Paul, like the best teachers, used repetition to drive home his points. Let me repeat that. Some of you got it. Paul, like the best teachers, used repetition to drive home his points. Being reminded of the same truths keeps us safe. By the way, what's true is not new. What's new is not true. And if there's some new book out there that promises the abundant Christian life and promises to help you get through the whatever, like it's some new truth, don't buy it. Don't waste your time. God has provided 66 books whereby we can know Him and have the joy of the Lord. So maybe we ought to spend more time in those books, Genesis through revelation, and less time fill in the pockets of somebody who comes along and claims to have new truth. One of the old truths is, is that we can rejoice in the Lord always, especially when others are trying to do you in. He says in verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Three bewares of dogs, evil workers, and mutilators. Now, in the context of this passage, these three things, dogs, evil workers, mutilators, refer to the same group of people, people called the Judaizers. These men, some of them that 
possibly had confessed Jesus as Lord, but all of them Jewish who felt that even Gentiles needed to become Jewish, they would follow Paul along as he would preach the gospel and a church would be established. Then he would leave and go someplace else. These Judaizers would come in behind him and they told the people, Paul only taught you half the truth. Yeah, believe in Jesus, that's fine. But if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be spiritual, you need to embrace Judaism. You men need to be circumcised. You need to start eating a kosher diet. You need to observe the feast days. And, and you need to get in touch with the Jewish roots because the Bible is for Israel and therefore you must become an Israelite. You can believe in Jesus, should believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be spiritual, then you really need to embrace Judaism. By the way, this is a movement that is still plaguing the church today. That attitude of, and by the way, I found out that my DNA testing, I have a lot of what's called Ashkenazi Jew in me. L'chaim. So, but with that said, it is disturbing that the premise is being put out there that if you become more Jewish flavored, you will be more spiritual. Worshiping on Saturday. Some, some even Christian messianic congregations have the men wear kippahs or yarmulkes and prayer shawls and lighting of the candles and celebrating the feast days. And, uh, and they would never say, oh, this makes you uh, uh, more saved or more spiritual even, but that is indeed what they are promoting. And they look down on us, Goyim Gentiles, who just go to regular average Bible-believing churches as somehow not being quite fully there. You ever run across that? And it's not just them, but there are other churches that say you must be baptized in order to be saved. You know, what about the thief on the cross? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm sorry, but you haven't been baptized. Too bad. Somebody got a hose, let's just hose him off and we'll get him in. If God gave him grace, will he not give us the same grace? It's not about works. Paul will go on to say that it has nothing to do. He calls these Judaizers dogs because they viciously tore apart Paul's message in the true gospel. Paul called them evil workers because they were trying to undo the grace of God in the lives of these Gentile believers. Paul called them mutilators because they were compelling Christian men to be circumcised. Paul points out, though, the Spirit through Paul points out, that spiritual circumcision has nothing to do with physical cutting. But it has everything to do with spiritually cutting away the fleshly carnal desires. Verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. True circumcision is not physical, it's spiritual. Cutting away the flesh, the fleshly carnal desires, being crucified with Christ which enables us to worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus and what He has done, what He is doing, and what He has promised to do very soon, I believe, and have no confidence whatsoever in our own good works, any religious observances, anything that we think 
we bring to the table that makes us more acceptable, more desirable to God. And if anybody could have trusted in their fleshly accomplishments, it would have been Paul. Verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Hey, all those Judaizers, those guys are amateurs. I am a perennial all-star professional religious guy. He, he's like first string all pro religious man. And all the other guys were amateurs. He says, circumcise the eighth day. I'm an eight-dayer. According to the law, that's when you're supposed to get it done, and that's when I had it done. Of the stock of Israel, he came forth from the land of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, that, those were bragging rights. Because Benjamin was the only tribe that remained faithful to the throne of King David and his descendants, along with Judah. Uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, both my parents were Jewish people. And uh, I excelled in, in Judaism. Concerning the law of Pharisee, the strict, legalistic keepers of the word of God. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I saw him as a threat and I did something about it. There are many people who see things as a threat to the church but don't do anything about it. Paul, Paul was a doer. And concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. If anybody could have looked in the mirror and said, if God will accept anybody based on their good works, he'd accept you, Paul. You're the man. That would have been Paul. But notice verse 7. After he got saved. But what things were gained to me? It's like these things I thought were in my plus column. I realized since coming to faith in Jesus, they're actually in the negative column. Things that were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He realized, I can't bring this into a relationship with Jesus because Jesus won't accept that. He'll reject me if I try to bring this into my relationship with him. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. See, that was his whole deal. He just wanted to know Jesus better. And he couldn't know Jesus if he knew how good he personally was. He couldn't know Jesus personally if he was still bringing his own personal stuff into that relationship. For whom, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. Gave my life to Jesus and God took everything away. And Paul's like, and that was a brilliant, wise, good thing he did. When you came to faith in Jesus, how many of you... Uh, saw a lot of stuff being taken away. Friends, uh, stuff, things, junk, junky stuff friends. And God just took those away. And like, oh, Lord, I gave my life. I, I was told that if I gave my life to you, things were going to be great. Things were going to be wonderful. And it hurts. I don't like stuff being taken away. But how wise is God? If he had left all those things and stuff and people in our lives, we would have been pulled back down in the mud. Praise the Lord that he has allowed those things to be taken away, that we suffer the loss of those things. And he says, and by the way, are those things that God took away, my religiosity, my, my pedigree, and my religious works, I count them as 
rubbish. Notice he says that there, rubbish. Some of you have Old King James Version of the Bible. Anybody here have the Old King Jimmy Bible in their lap? Somebody? Nobody? Okay, well, you're going to have to take my word for it. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The Old King James Version translates rubbish as dung. Count them as dung. If you don't know what dung is, look it up on Google. <laughs> so any perceived advantage due to some pedigree, I was born this, I was born that, or some spiritual achievement, I did this, I did that, Paul says it's a pile of rubbish. You said doo-doo. I know. <laughs> but you're right. Isaiah the prophet had this to say about anyone who trusts in their own good works. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all, and he includes himself, he says we, we are all like an unclean thing. All of us, all of me, everything, unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, all those things, that spiritual things that we thought are advantages, are like filthy rags. Paul knew that his so-called good works actually forfeited the grace of God. That's why he wanted to be found not in any of his own works, but in Jesus. Verse 9, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness. What if you and I had to do good works to get right with God? How could you ever know if your works were good enough? How could you know that you ever got over the bar? How could you ever know that you made it? Now, if you're trusting solely in the completed work of Jesus Christ, then you know. You have no question, no doubt about it whatsoever. How are you getting to heaven? Because Jesus died on a cross, and Jesus rose from the dead, and all I did was ask him to be the Lord of my life. The end. No more. Not Jesus died, Jesus rose, I was baptized, I went through first confession, holy communion, confirmation, I went on a mission trip, I gave so much money to the building project, I attend church how many times a week? None of that. None of that. Those are filthy rags in God's eyes. To be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. By the way, Running people say, are you going to heaven? Yeah, how do you know? Oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. Dude, you have no clue what the Ten Commandments say. You're lying. And by the way, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not lie, and you just lied. So you broke the <laughs> Ten Commandments. The law can't, the, the law's power is that it only proves that we're sinners. Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law cannot do anything to make anybody holy. All it can do is show us, prove that we are sinners, and then it points us to the one who is holy and did keep the law. So the law is a mirror. You look in the law, and, of the mirror of the law, and you go, oh, well, man, am I dirty. That's all the law can do. But then there's a little sticky note that says, oh, by the way, Jesus saves. Go to him. But so he says in, in uh, verse 9, Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. There's a righteousness that Jesus graces those who have faith in him. The righteousness which is from God by faith. 
So God declares us righteous. This might be a good word for somebody here today. Somebody feels guilty. I want to ask you to raise your hand. Anybody here feel guilty? Because, okay, you raise your hand. Good job, Adam. Uh, why are you, do you feel guilty? Because you are. I, I love those Captain Obvious moments. The moment we believe in Jesus, God clothes us in His righteousness that never fades away, does not wear out. God only sees you washed clean in the blood of Jesus, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, both now and forever. It's never going to go away because you believe in Jesus. Have you, have I sinned since believing in Jesus? Pfft, more times than I would care to know. But that does not change the fact that I'm righteous in His sight because it's not any righteousness I bring, but that which is graced by Him. Righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. Just like the infomercials say, but wait, there's more. At that point, we have a lifetime of getting to know Him and experiencing the many blessings that God promises to those who diligently seek Him. Paul, here, here's his heart. If you want, what, what was Paul's heart? What made him tick? Verse 10, that I may know Him. It's all about Jesus. And not know about Him. I'm going to go to lots of schools and educations and, and read lots of books and look at lots of podcasts and, and I'm going to know a lot of stuff about God. Really? Are you? Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Just because somebody writes a book does not mean that it's right. You need to be careful. There's a lot of garbage out there that has been written in, in Jesus' name, calling upon His name. I'm not against education unless it's bad information. He says, I, my, my desire is to know Him, not to know about Him, but to know Him personally, to be friends with Him. And he, he mentions in three ways. First of all, the power of His resurrection. Who wants to know the power in their own life of the resurrection of Jesus? Who wants resurrection power? We all do. Yeah. It means freedom. Jesus rose from... He conquered sin and death. Who here wants to conquer sin and death in their life? Of course we do. I want the power of His resurrection. The next part, though, the fellowship of His sufferings. Mm. Who wants to know rejection, betrayal, abandonment, humiliation, being whipped, tortured, mocked, and then finally crucified? Who wants to go through that? Not too many hands lifted up right now. The last part of verse 10, being conformed to His death. Who wants to be conformed to the crucifixion of Jesus? Possibly the most heinous, torturous, painful form of capital punishment ever invented. But Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, was willing to endure it all if it meant knowing Jesus better. How do you know somebody unless you walk in their shoes? How do you know somebody, or in Jesus' case, walk in his sandals? How do you know somebody unless you can somehow, someway relate to what they're going through? Paul's attitude is, if I, can get, if I can know Jesus better by going through what he went through, then bring it on. For I realize 
His sufferings and his death eventually led to resurrection glory. And that's what I want. That's what I want. Resurrection glory in my life. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There it is. I want to know Jesus so that my eternity can be that much more glorious. It's the key to having joy in the Lord. It's all about the resurrection from the dead. It's all about heaven. It's not about this earth, what we can get here and now. If a person's in ICU and they're on death's, you know, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door at that point, one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel, what good is winning the lottery to them? If it's about the junk and stuff in this life, how miserable. This is the key to having joy in the Lord. It's all about the resurrection of the dead. It's all about heaven and having our eyes focused on Jesus. It's been said, if I look around, I'll be distressed. A lot of distressing things in the world, right? If I look within, I'll be depressed. I don't like what I see. But if I look to Jesus, I'll be at rest. And if we adopt the mindset of wanting to know Jesus at all costs and truly embrace that heaven is the goal, not this earth, then we too will be filled with the joy of the Lord. In Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, we read onward and upward. In verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already attained. I'm not perfect yet. Or I'm already perfected. Even the most saintly saint is still a work in progress. Right? But I press on. I haven't arrived. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. But I keep going forward. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Lord, you laid hold of me. You, 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 and I don't know why. I don't understand why, Lord, you singled me out, why you revealed yourself to me, why am I saved? I don't know why, but Lord, I, I want to find out. I want to get to know you more. So Paul had that never give up mindset. Never going to give up. Because regardless of how hard things seem down here, Jesus has promised to bring us home. It's all about our heavenly home. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself as to, uh, to have apprehended. I, I don't understand it all. But one thing I do, what do we do? Forgetting those things which are behind. Boy, I'll tell you, you can save a whole lot of money on therapy. If, if we will just simply forget about the bad things that were done to us and the bad things that we've done. If we will do what Jesus said, forgive and you will be forgiven. We could certainly save ourselves a lot of time and money at the therapist's office. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. That's step number one. Step number two, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, the devil often immobilizes us by simply reminding us of our past. Have you ever had that experience? I do all the time at night when I'm going to sleep, trying to get to sleep, and all of a sudden, all these sins of the past come flooding in my mind. That is such a satanic attack. I don't know how the devil attacks you. That's how he attacks me. You did this, you did that, and you know what? He ain't lying. Tell me the truth. And, I, uh, and my wife Amanda says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, 
Just trying to get comfortable here. The devil's like, you sinner. Hard to get comfortable when the sins of the past are flooding your brain. Paul thought, but you know, Jesus forgives and he forgets. And therefore, so will I, including myself. Therefore, if you believe in Jesus today, if you love the Lord, give yourself a break. Jesus has forgiven you, has he not? Has he also forgotten? Has he not dropped your sins in the sea of forgetfulness and then posted a no fishing sign? Hasn't he done that? Okay, forgive yourself. It's over. Forget those things, what you're behind. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah, but you can do it. Because you're told to. And God doesn't tell us to do anything that he also doesn't give us the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. If he tells us something, you can do it. Forget the past. And now, move forward, onward and upward. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, you know, I can see the finish line just up ahead there in my life. It's time to kick in into, into, into high gear, really get running. Is any of you long distance runners? Any of you hate to run? No, long distance runners, some of you, okay. Well, you know, in the beginning, you pace yourself. But then when you see the finish line, it's time to sprint. Gang, the finish line is, is right there in life. What we see happening in the world today, oh man, the finish line is right there. It's time that as believers we kick it into high gear. Forget the things which are behind and start pressing forward. And you'll find the joy of the Lord. It'll be interesting how that happens. Why? Well, I have joy in Jesus because I'm doing what he's told me to do. Even in the face of persecution and martyrdom, we can rejoice in the Lord because our destination is not anywhere on this earth. Get that? The destination is not anywhere or with anyone on the earth. It's in the next. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're aliens. We are strangers in a strange land. This world is not our home. If we try to make it our home, we are going to not have the joy of the Lord. And this is what I see in many Christians, bless their hearts. <laughs> Trying to make this world, this nation, become something so that they can feel comfortable. And as a result, no joy. No joy. But if our goal is eternity and we're just passing through, if we have that pilgrim mindset, then we will have the joy of the Lord. Nevertheless, no, verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, I like how he, he does this. If you're mature, you'll agree with me. <laughs> if you don't agree with me, you are so immature. <laughs> That's what he's saying, really. Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. It's not about earth. It's about heaven. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not about, our king, not about our righteousness, what we bring to the table. If you're mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, so some, well, wait a second. Well, God will reveal this even to you. You'll come around eventually. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Adopt a heavenly mindset knowing that we're just passing through. 
And if we do so, and we realize that it's about God's kingdom. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, gave them what I really believe should be called the disciples' prayer, but other men have called it the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father which art in heaven. I was raised Catholic, here we go. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Too often Christians, American, bless their hearts, Christians will pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No. But if we adopt the heavenly mindset, we will have unity. If it's all about knowing Jesus and making him better known, unity, oneness, and fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. In verses 17 through 21, we're told, don't conform, but be transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed. Brethren, I'm going to try to get through this real quickly here. Join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul was a good example. You probably know Christians that are good example who are living right. Befriend them. Talk to them. Be discipled by them. That's what Paul's saying. Just join up with Christians who are on fire that you too might catch it. For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. And here's how you can tell them, whose God is their belly. Instead of praying, Lord, what would you have me do for you? They pray, Lord, here's what I want you to do for me. Their God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Beware of the popular man-centered name it, claim it, blab it, grab it theology. It's all about what can God do for you. Our genie, which art in heaven, hallowed be my name. Give me what I want, that bigger car, that bigger house, that bigger wife, that bigger this, this bigger. Beware of that. Because in verse 19 it says their end is destruction. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we know that we're true citizens of heaven. We don't angst over the kingdoms of fallen godless men. But we eagerly wait. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Please. There's several times a day. Lord, there's a problem. Would you please come quickly? Lord, I don't like that man in the mirror. Would you please Come quickly. And until then, regardless of what we see happening in the world, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus and on his kingdom, we can still rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Who will, verse 21, transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue, subdue all things to himself. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for Transformation Day. Our earthly bodies are going to be transformed to be like his glorious body. Total victory over sin and death. As we see in the body of the resurrected Jesus, able to walk through walls, able to appear and disappear. We won't travel at the speed of light. We'll travel at the speed of thought. 
Nothing will be able to harm us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. You know, when Jesus read, by the way, that verse is so often quoted like, I'm going to overcome all the bad people of the world. No weapon on earth will... I think the better application would be when Jesus returns with us, the church, when he uh, destroys uh, those who rejected him. Because you have the Antichrist and his forces and the kings of the east and their forces coming together in a battle in the valley of Megiddo called Armageddon. And they're fighting each other. And then Jesus returns with us. And he then tramples them, the wrath of God and the winepress of God Almighty and blood will flow bridal high. At that point, the Antichrist and the, and the East enemies, they're going to aim their, their weapons upward. Futile attempt. Bullets are just going to pass right, rockets pass right through us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Can't wait for that, body. Right now, lots of weapons prosper, can prosper against me. Man. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches prosper against me. Ice cream. Whew. And by the way, Jesus ate in his resurrected body. Praise God. <laughs> and he didn't gain an ounce. We're going to celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus is going to serve us. I just, it blows my mind to think him with a towel. And John, what can I get you? Like, are you kidding me? I should be serving you and you're serving me? It's going to be one of those Peter's, Peter moments where he says, oh, you're not going to wash my, no, no, this is wrong. Lord's going to serve us. You're the bride of Christ. Now, I know for some of us men, it's like, whoa, whoa, put it a little differently, won't you please? Bride, you know. He's going to serve us because he loves us. What are you going to eat? At the, I don't know. I'm thinking prime rib and lobster and shrimp scampi and some prime rib and lobster and another shrimp scampi. But the body of transformation that will take place is, it's out of this world. Have no idea. You go look for the guy with a full head of hair in heaven and I'll wave to you. May God help us to shift our focus from the kingdoms of man and from our own personal kingdoms and fix our eyes on his kingdom. We're no longer citizens of the earth. In a sense, you're not a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why what happens in this world shouldn't bother us, should not at all touch our joy. Because we're just passing through. We're just passing through. And a new glorified body awaits. And all this has nothing to do with what we bring to the table. Nothing to do with our good works of the past. Nothing to do with how we were born, where we were born. It's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has everything to do with God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and with our minds set on things above we too will then know the joy of the Lord and like Paul we too will be able to tell others Philippians 4 4 rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice read that with me one two three rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice 